listening to Planet Pod, the weekly podcast for everyone who cares about the planet. Hi, and welcome to Planet Pod. I'm Amanda Carpenter. And I'm Steve Malkin. And today we're talking a load of rubbish. Well, actually, no, we're not. We're talking rubbish, waste, food waste, packaging, recycling, you name it. So we've joined in the studio with some really exciting guests. I have Steve Kearns from Causton Press. Hello, Steve. Hi. And Mickey Reedy from This Is Rubbish. Hi there. And David Rumble from Bywaters. Hello. Welcome, everybody. Thanks so much for coming along. So, waste. Goodness me, there's so much to say, isn't there, Steve? But, you know, we want to start our podcast, as usual, with our good, the bad and the ugly slot. So, anything caught your attention this week? Good, bad or ugly? Yep, and on the topic of waste, um, I was really fortunate to go up to the Sandringham Estate on Friday on my trip to Norfolk and um, I went to the Sandringham restaurant and around the back there's a thing called Big Hannah which takes all of their food waste and with some sort of other ingredients churns away and rumbles and grumbles and out the other end after about three or four days comes out this amazing sort of compostable material that is being added to their allotments there and uh, so the food waste is transformed into this beautiful smelling, clean uh, material that you can then use to regrow their rhubarbs and their strawberries and so on. So it was kind of really sort of waste and recycling in action through Big Hannah at the Sandringham Estate. So good and ugly. Well, not even ugly, probably beautiful, actually. Hannah's beautiful, as great. New member of the royal family. I guess the good for me would be the um, plastic pact, which you've just had signed up. 40 companies have signed a voluntary agreement to reduce plastic and packaging in the supply chain. And it's fantastic and we welcome it. We say good for you, about time too. But it's voluntary, not mandatory. So we're on our way, but we're not quite there yet. And I'm sure we're going to talk about that and policy and the whole issue of recycling and packaging during our session today. So can I just ask our guests, anything good, bad or ugly you have that caught your attention in the last few weeks that you want to share with people? Well, certainly I agree about the, the government incentive with packaging because we've got to look at the way we are using packaging, especially multi-material packaging, which is extremely hard to recycle. If we can get that packaging down to a single material or maybe just two materials, it just makes it so much easier to recover it and then recycle it. So when you say multi-material, you're talking about something that might have plastic on top, cardboard underneath, or what do you mean by that for people well, who aren't... Well, for instance, those? yesterday I, I just went, walked into the supermarket and bought a sandwich off the shelf. Packaging it came in was a mixture of cardboards and several different sorts of plastics. So that's very, very hard to recover. Okay, good. Right, that's a note for us. Stop buying supermarket sandwiches. Um, anybody else got anything that... Steve? Yeah, the... the the story around plastic straws and the banning of plastic straws has been a hot topic um, and one that will affect us as a business. So it's been something on our on our minds um, and that we're looking at. In principle, great idea, but for those products that are <clears throat> pre-packed 
and are consumed by youngsters or people with disability, we've got to find what the answer is and, and find something that's the longer term solution. So for now, no answers on that yet, but what does that look like? Yeah, so it's really, it's, we, we welcome all of these initiatives from government and I think particularly um, because they're driving behaviour change, wouldn't you say, Steve? They're doing something to actually make people behave differently by putting in place voluntary or compulsory legislation. So we've kind of known about plastic for a long time, um, but since Sir David Attenborough beamed into our households, Planet Earth 2, plastic has sort of shot up and now it's become this really wonderful hot topic where we're seeing sort of great change, you know? Um, and so, you, and Mickey, from a sort of a sort of working in schools and from that perspective with the children, you're probably seeing this as sort of a, you know, they always care about waste and recycling, don't they, in schools? Um, I haven't been in schools for a while, but that was my experience. There was, um, you know, good institutional recycling and care for the environment. Lots of schools have gardening and um, food sort of programs in place. I think Ofsted's really looking for that these days. Um, it's just really encouraging to see um, recycling and environmentalism becoming sort of a normal thing to talk about, that people are really taking action in a positive way and that it's just in, in the general narrative going around. It's become much yeah. more of a, a topic that people talk about naturally rather than, you know, us kind of weird eco-freaks who've been going on about it for years and years and years and the rest of the world has suddenly woken up to what's going on out there. So Hannah was good and, you know, ugly. Maybe not ugly, beautiful. So did you have a bad, Steve? What's been getting under your skin? Well, I, I think that um, I'm not great with bad as being a bit of an optimist. But anyway, oh, here's some bad, right? So this is a spotlight on plastic sort of when Sir David Attenborough said 8 million tonnes of plastic is going into our oceans and I think um, people kind of well what does that mean you know so with all of this news there's some really big bad numbers on plastic so we've kind of got these 13 billion bottles plastic bottles are consumed in the UK every day 15 million either incinerated go to landfill or just littered so 15 million bottles a day in the uk come on guys what's that about eight and a half billion straws are produced here and we know they're terrible to recycle and there's about sort of two and a half billion takeaway cups that are thrown away every year so there's, so there's this massive sort of spotlight on numbers but then i was saying well i don't really know what sort of 13 billion bottles looks like so Bil billion 13 billion bottles of water water bottles are consumed in the uk every year so um uh, so for me though it's kind of like well give me a picture and so this stuff a lot of it ends up in the ocean and so this pacific garbage patch now that we've all heard about so the pacific garbage patch now is three times the size of france so it's a humongous country size patch of garbage so if all of these numbers which are difficult to get your head around it's actually a created massive massive garbage patch so it's literally floating rubbish in the ocean yeah taking up a space that's three times the size of france yeah and it takes you kind of like a day to drive down through france doesn't it so if you imagine driving across you can walk across this garbage patch now and i believe that well there's seven of these they're called gyres there's seven of them around the world's oceans uh that's the biggest one in the pacific um uh, it's going it's, it's, you know, to take a lot to solve that one. Um, a lot of it's made up of plastic and a lot of it's made up of fishing nets and so on. So, um, so, yeah. so that's a bit like the, you know, my bad would have been the, the plastic river in Indonesia, which is, you know, it's got a, a plastic berg. We've all heard of a fat berg, but this is a berg made of plastic. 
and it's so huge they've had to call in the army to deal with it but that just pales into insignificance next to your floating garbage patch I doesn't I it i might have literally trumped you with that one i think you so have i think you've outplasticked me oh i'm feeling so a bit the don't spotlight on like plastic that. and everything that's happening now it's okay so there's the bad but so the good news is that it's really coming to light. So we've known about this for kind of years and years, um, but there's this now this unique moment in time, so this is good, where actually they start to tackle this stuff. So there's still hope. <coughs> Thank you for those. Thank you for your good, your bad, and your uglies. And I would say to anybody, if you've got anything, listeners, that you want to share with us, then do get in touch at hello at the planet pod um or just get in touch by email or tweet us so um we want to hear your good bad and uglies as well so today we're talking about rubbish generally and waste and packaging um and i think that our three guests present very different perspectives on that and have very different stories to share which is fantastic so we're really pleased that you're with us so thanks so much for coming in um and perhaps if we could just kick off with you steve because i mean you're in the kind of food and drinks business must be a massive amount of packaging involved in what you do. You've got quite a complicated supply chain. You're getting ingredients from all over the, all over the place, presumably not just all over the UK, but all over Europe. So what are some of the things that are challenging you? And, and for those people who don't know about Causton Press, maybe just give us a little background about, you know, where you've come from and what you do. Yeah, certainly. We're, we're a, a soft drinks business um, based around pressed juice, not from concentrate pressed juice. Uh, we've been going now for 31 years, so I have a real expertise and a, and a, lo- a long time in pressing juice. And we've recently, sort of last four or five years, expanded into other areas to, to create more of a soft drinks business around the three core uh, product ranges, if you like, one litre pressed juice, smaller cartons, sort of family favourites, as we call them, that are pressed juice shaken up with spring water, and then a range of sparkling drinks as well, uh, which have really started to put us on the on the map as a brand and as a business. That's kind of fizzy juice? Is that when you Fizzy drinks, yeah, sparkling juice, yeah. Yeah, so pretty much now those, those cans with new recipes after the soft drinks uh, sugar levy took place, we had to change our recipes or we decided to change our recipes for the better. Um, we now use predominantly... Uh, pressed juice in those cans over 50 percent of the can is is juice with sparkling water so because okay. juice actually has quite a high sugar content doesn't it which is maybe why people are not drinking as much pure juice as they were because i think if you just drink a lot of juice that's probably not fantastically good for your teeth long term so do you think that's possibly why there's you know the decline in the pure juice market and and what happens if you drink cans of Part juice, part water. Is, oh, I, think there's a, I think there's a lot of reasons behind um, pressed juice and that market declining. I think it's about meal occasion and time of day. The breakfast occasion is almost gone, uh, which was a time when we consumed a lot of, of juice in the morning together as families. That doesn't really happen as much now. A lot of people eating on the go and grabbing breakfast on the way to work or doing things very differently. I think then, yeah, there is a concern perhaps about about the sugars in it, but people consuming less of it, they're starting to adjust their diets accordingly. But when you add it to to water, we're diluting it, there's less calories, there's less sugar in there. You get a great tasting product, but without being fully loaded with, with sugar. 
And I think that's a fantastic balance, a really nice, fresh, light drink. We've actually taken those recipes down so that the overall sugar content comes down by 30% across our range. So we've we've kind of helping people move their palates to, to somewhere which is more dry and less sweet as well. And they presumably taste as good, better? They taste delicious, yeah. I would say better. Um, and have your customers noticed? Have you had any feedback? We've had some, we've had some great feedback, yeah. Some people who are loyal to the brand and, and love the products uh, have, have said how great they taste and haven't really been able to taste a difference. Some people are saying it's not quite as good as they had before, but very, very few, actually. I, I speak to people face-to-face a lot, go to all of the the trade shows and the sampling and stand in front of people in stores and and test and taste our products. And I'm amazed by the the positive response that we're, that we're getting both from the recipe point of view and the fantastic flavor and taste point of view. So Steve, is it important for you to be out there in front of people who are buying your product? Cause you sort of compete against Coke and Pepsi's and all of their sort of product ranges, but you're still quite a big business, but you're still, something that people might be associate with. And so is it quite important then to, to meet people who are buying a product? Yeah, I think it's really important. I think uh, it shows the personal touch. It gets the team out there. I, I encourage our whole team to go out and sample and test and talk to people, get real-time feedback, get an understanding from, from people what they think about the product, about the brand. It just it just feels much more authentic uh, and, and gives us a real point of difference, I think. And there's a piece about sort of um, your ingredients, isn't there, as well, which I imagine is important in terms of real food. I know it sounds a bit ridiculous, but you actually squash fruit and turn it into a juice that we're going to consume. So it's actually it is real, real food and not some sort of sort of set of sort of chemicals and ingredients. Yeah, so it, it, you can look at the label and and understand every single item that's in each one of our drinks you know what it is you could taste every individual element and and it would just be like you picked it from the from the back garden so we don't use concentrates it's all pressed juice um so yeah we love to hear that feedback and and see people's faces when they try try the drinks try the products because it often surprises how fresh tasting and how light um and, and full body, the drinks, the drinks are. Sounds a bit like wine. Yeah, <laughs> making me thirsty. So, where are you getting your raw ingredients from? Because, I mean, one of the things that I think those of us who are perhaps not in the business but are aware of what's going on is the mountain of food waste from things that are rejected. So, we've all seen this, you know, the stories about we have to have perfectly shaped apples and perfectly <laughs> shaped carrots, which means that mountains and mountains and mountains of food are being wasted every year. So. What's your take on that? What's happening at Corston and, and in your industry generally? Yeah, so th- this is the beauty of, of press juice. Um, it, it isn't a beauty pageant. We're not looking for the best looking apples and fruit to go in our drinks. Uh, we use the stuff that people don't want to put in the fruit bowl. So all the things that used to be cast aside, this is not the domain of the the new brands coming to the market using wonky fruit and ugly fruit and all those sorts of things. This is what pressed juice is all about it came from hail damaged apples that didn't quite look good enough to go to market or to be put into the fruit bowl so we believe that intrinsically within the business anyway we're we're helping because we're using the things that people don't want to buy or don't like the look of anyway that's that's what pressed juice is all about that's fundamentally where 
the brand and the business came from, and we're very proud of that. Good. So tell us about the sort of thorny sort of issue around about how you package your product. Is you know what sort of challenges are you facing now? Is to sort of maybe sort of about this sort of raising of public awareness around plastic and packaging. How's what are you what are you looking into at the moment? So across the range, we use we use cans, um, Tetra Pak, and the one thing that's really giving us the the thorn in our side is the plastic straws that we attach to what we call our our family favourites, our fruit waters. Um, and the advice that we're giving people for now, because this is the best that we can at the moment, is to push the straw into the carton and then everything can be recovered and, and recycled. If you've got the loose straw, it makes life difficult because it's a small piece of plastic that maybe doesn't find its way into the, into the system as well as it should. So push the straw into the carton and then that can be recycled. But we're looking, you know, it doesn't stop there for us. We need to work with our suppliers who are much bigger companies than ours and have huge research budgets to understand what can and can't be done we're looking for their help to say what's the next step for for products like ours um which are consumed generally by younger folk little little ones who if they didn't have a straw or something similar would probably get the drink all over them um so what what is the alternative help us to find the answer and that's what we'll look to to work to otherwise that, that range becomes somewhat redundant mm. and how do how do youngsters consume or people with disability how do they consume drinks and how particularly on the go but how, how do they consume those sorts of products so there's a you'll have a call to action for, for and it's going to be largely parents probably mums um, so if you're buying one of those little, because we're talking about those little cartons, aren't little we? Cartons, little yeah. cartons, yeah, 200 little, mils. Yeah, yeah. And, and they have a little straw attached, probably with a bit of sticky, and you're saying push it back into the box. Yes. Okay, that's quite a big ask for somebody on the go, but I think we could probably manage that if we take responsibility for our actions. So how would that work if that then goes into a recycling? Because that's one of the real problems here, isn't it? Because what happens is we know this stuff is recyclable, but... A huge amount of it is not recycled. So the horrible statistics, something like 9% of all plastics ever have just been recycled. So it's going somewhere. So how do we make sure that it is being recycled properly? I mean, I'm going to look at you, David, because you are you are Mr. Recycling. So what, what could we do as consumers to make sure that that carton that we've bought and enjoyed and drunk and we've got our straw back in, how do we know it's going to go to the right place? Well, first of all, the most important thing is to make sure that it gets into the recycling system. It doesn't get left on the side of the road or uh, in a hedgerow or whatever it may be. So get it in the recycling bin. That's the most important thing. The next most important thing is try and make sure that there's no product left in the container. There's no juice or yogurt or whatever it may be, food left in the container, because that will count as uh, contamination and can cause problems. So, the we, so just to check there, so if we don't wash out all of our bits of plastic at home, so I've got a big recycling bin in my kitchen and I put everything I can into it, you're telling me I've got to wash everything out, otherwise you can't recycle no, it? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying if you can wash things out, it helps us. Right. And also if a package is... I don't know, maybe 10, 20% full of food waste, then it's not appropriate to put it in the recycling bin. Then you must empty it out, and if you can, wash it out. But if the pot is relatively clean, then yes, put it in the recycling bin. 
Okay. So, but we're, what about those of us who are out on the go? We've got, you know, we're out with our kids for the day and we've brought our drinks along. We've dutifully put our straw back in and, and then we find ourselves somewhere and we're looking around and there's nowhere to put it. I mean, that's the challenge, isn't it? You could be out in a public place and there just aren't any recycling bins. So I think that, you know, what, what can we do to push the changes? Because I've often been somewhere and I'm thinking, oh, I'll get rid of this. Trains. I mean, have you ever been on a train and you've had your can and you think, oh, I'm going to recycle it. And then there's just one litter bin on the train and you either take it home with you, which is a bit sad, but I have to say I do do that, or you put it in the general waste. So the real problem is there's nowhere to put it. Where are we going to put our little carton with its straw dutifully shoved back into it? My opinion of, of answering that question is, is if you have to put it in the general waste, then put it in the general waste. Don't let it get out into the environment. But if you can take it home and put it in your household recycling system, that's the best thing to do. Okay, so... Really, I can get a kind of call here, a call to action for us as consumers. We've got to be more responsible for ourselves. And and that starts fairly early on, doesn't it? Educating younger people into understanding this whole issue of waste, wasting food, waste, you know, understanding packaging, behaving sensibly. And Mickey, that's something that you're really concerned with, isn't it? Because you run a, a, a KIC, a CIC, Community Interest Company, called This Is Rubbish. So tell us the kinds of things that you're doing to, to get this message across to, to younger people. Um, well, This Is Rubbish has uh, two, two parts that sort of are concerned with young people and behaviour change, and that's the Edible Education Project and our public engagement, Cirque de Surplus. And um, we took Edible Education to schools quite a few years ago, and uh, we were very well received. It was theatrical, it was immersive, it was sort of half hour to an hour workshops where young people got to taste food, got to taste banana muffins that had been made from soggy old bananas that they didn't want to eat from the fruit <laughs> bowl and things like this. And um, they had a great time. I think it sort of, it can be presented as a positive thing. It's a challenge to stop stop wasting food. It's like, what are the clever things you can think of to stop doing this? Because it's really important. And when it's presented in that positive way, um, young people often respond, well, I'd say unanimously respond really well to it. Um, we also go around um, public events, sharing messages about food waste, um, doing a giant salad toss in a tarpaulin from food that we've collected from industry surplus, um, of which there's quite a lot from big retail, like wholesale markets and so on. We don't tend to use stuff so much from supermarkets. It doesn't so tend to come in A yet. giant salad mm. in a tarpaulin. It's okay. a lot of fun. <laughs> Um, we get volunteers, we encourage them to come and help us chop all the, uh, clean and chop all the fruit and veg that we've saved that is appropriate to go in a salad. And um, you probably get maybe between 40 and 100 people around to tarpaulin. And we dramatically and excitingly chuck all the food into the tarpaulin, explaining to people um, where it came from, why it got wasted, a little bit of the history maybe of some, some of the products. And... Um, the people um, holding the tarpaulin will toss it in the air in a coordinated fashion. So people take out salad in the face. And um, and that's a sort of collective act against food waste that takes five minutes. You don't have to spend hours, days, months. You don't have to plan where to put your straws. It's just a, a quick thing to do. And, and then we could probably feed about 250 people out of one tarpaulin. And a world record for the world's biggest tossed salad. Do you know, we've not looked into it, but my aspiration is to do a thousand person salad toss. It might happen one Let's day. Let's make that happen. Okay. Right, who out there can help us with the world's biggest salad toss? 
This is Planet Pod's call to all of you salad eaters. We need a thousand volunteers around a giant towel point. That is a really, really big top lawn. I'm thinking four. Four oh, top four top. Okay, we're going to subdivide. Okay, so we need a lot of you to get around the top all in and toss a lot of salad. Do you dress the salad after <laughs> you've tossed it? Do we get no, to have no, vinaigrette on it? Yeah, in- we do it as part of the whole, oh, just, the whole, whole experience, part of the whole drama. It's the last thing that goes on is the salad dressing. And then at that point, sometimes the salad's a bit heavy. We need to get some more adults around the side of the tarpaulin and make sure that it's not sagging in the middle, throw it in the air. It's, um, it's giving the bumps to the salad, but not too much, so it doesn't get too bruised. And then everybody eats it? Yes. Fantastic. That's amazing. So those are obviously big public engagement events. Mm-hmm. What other kinds of things can we do or can you do or can help organisations do to get the message across in a, a way which doesn't necessarily need everybody around to tarpaulin? So maybe some more indoor activities for the winter. I mean, have you got a kind of education campaign going on generally across schools and organizations or um well we're currently funded to work with a target group and we're working with young people from migrant migrant and refugee backgrounds around food surplus enterprise and food saving so the whole idea of you know valuing food is fundamental to everything we do if i was going to have a call to action that's it really value food remember everything that goes into it everything that goes into producing it you know bringing it to your table um teaching these young people some like valuable cooking skills and kitchen skills but also incorporating elements of enterprise it's been a really growing industry i think the last few years um businesses that use cosmetically outgraded fruit and veg and things like this to make like you said flavored drinks sometimes and uh, i think there's jams there's toast ale that's quite delicious ale but not appropriate for children um but getting representatives from those businesses to come and meet our groups explain to them you know sort of how what their story is why they decided to do it and that you know things can be repurposed and refashioned and be delicious so why do you think our relationship with food has changed so dramatically i mean why is it that we don't value food because you know i'm fairly old and um you know when i was growing up my mother who was even older um was obviously had grown up during the war so the whole impetus was on you know never wasting food food was short you know the famous i didn't see an orange till i was 14 story that they all tell you know those sorts of things so we were taught that you you know you ate what was put on your plate and you didn't waste food and food was precious what happened where did it all go wrong well, I'm not a social historian. I would say that the monetary value of food has decreased a lot since the Green Revolution, since the, after the war, and um, its availability. So, you know, if something is hugely and widely available, it does seem to decrease in value. If um, you're going to make uh, a diamond necklace, you would do very serious maths about how many diamonds you needed to make that necklace. But when you want to make a chili con carne, you don't do the same maths because it's not as expensive and it's not as difficult to come by. I would say that's part of it. Um, lots to do with our lifestyle. I think we talked about that in terms of, you know, sort of the pros and cons of packaging and what to do with it. And um, lifestyles have changed. But I think... So it's know, almost like we don't value it as a as, as, a, as an entity, as a product, as a commodity, so because it, it isn't as expensive as it used to be. And as such, we're therefore more wasteful of it. So we've really got to reignite that relationship with food, haven't mm. we? And actually see it for the precious thing that it is. It isn't just a form of getting nutrition on the go. It's potentially, you know, part of that social glue or part of that growing up education business. Um, yeah, I think a lot of the um, projects that exist in schools around growing food are super important. They are connecting young people with what it takes to actually produce carrots and potatoes and how much of an effort it is. They don't just roll off a shelf. And um, 
that's uh, you know something that there needs to be more of but lots of it's going on it's part of my aspirations for edible education to involve more growing activities and my other job as a cook at Global Generation Skip Garden is all about that it's a community space where we do lots of education around food growing and um, sustainable diets so you know this is the stuff that hopefully will connect people with the value of food and the inputs. And what are you seeing then when you're running those programs Mickey in terms of um, people's relationship with food so is it changing do you, are you optimistic about the sort of direction of travel and um, if not what more can we do I've seen good I've seen good things and bad things I, I think you know as I said earlier it's it's really encouraging to see the plastic um, plastic thing in everybody's like conversations and on social media I have been in schools and asked children whether they thought it was worth buying fair trade bananas at 2p more and um, been told by a six-year-old well, people just don't have the time like what six-year-old doesn't have the time um so i think a lot is being absorbed from their parents there's just so much schools can do and um sort of like educators that work around food and outside of schools i think everybody needs to get on board yeah and one thing we haven't touched on and perhaps we'll touch on it in a moment is this whole issue of general food waste and you know this the terrifying statistics still coming out you know rap saying something like two million tons of household food waste is you know just goes into the bin every year so even if you know the moldy banana can't be made into a muffin and you've put it into your compost it's still basically wasting food isn't it and that's something that perhaps that's about us reconnecting with this really precious resource that here you know sitting in in in, you know in the comfortable part of southeast london um you know we've got we it's not a problem for us you know food we can most of us can afford to eat there are parts of the world where people are you know, short of food, and we know there are young people in this country who are going to bed hungry every night because there's still, you know, a lot of um, child poverty and lack of access to good quality food. So it's our responsibility to take a much more grown-up attitude to food, not wasting it, valuing it, having a precious resource that we make the most of. So maybe it's bananas as diamonds. That's it. Let's re- For someone who doesn't like bananas, this is going to be a struggle, but reimagine our relationship with the banana. Okay, we're going to take a break just now for a moment or two and we'll be back soon you're listening to planet pot Welcome back. You're listening to Planet Pod and we're talking about rubbish, waste, food waste and what we as consumers can do. And it's in the studio today, we're delighted to have David from um, Bywaters and um, I'm going to hand over to Steve here because Steve's just told me that he's actually been in a Murph. Go on, Steve. Well, funny enough, I've been in a, been in a few Murphs, but the best Murph I've been in, Jaram Roll, is your Murph. David, uh, Bywaters out in East London. Um, and it was, I've been there a few times now because I know you do tours, but it was the most incredible experience of seeing where my waste and recycling was taking place. So I don't know, uh, for those who don't know what one, a Murph is, and two, what that might look like there. I wonder if you could just tell us a bit about what Bywaters do and your fabulous Murph. Right. Well, at Bywaters, we have our 
MRF, MRF, which actually stands for Materials Recovery Facility. So we take in 130,000 tonnes a year of what we call mixed dry recycling. So from your homes, that's when you put your recycling in your recycling bin, your paper, your plastic, your cardboard, and so on. Also from our commercial customers, big office blocks up in the centre of London, putting their recycling in their recycling bins. That comes to our fantastic facility where we then separate that all out into discrete streams of usable cardboards, papers, plastics, metals, glass, all sorts of different things. Then they go on separately to different reprocessors in other parts of the United Kingdom, maybe in Europe, and made into new plastics, new cardboards to be used again and again and again. So it's a bit like this sort of circular economy, this circular thinking type yep. of thing. So you, we're putting all of our recycling together, we're sort of stripping out the sort of stuff which might be wet or food-ridden or whatever into general waste, but then everything else that we desperately try and recycle, we give it to you and you get it into the right batches That's so people can exactly turn it right. into something else. Exactly right. We don't rely on our customers to segregate their waste because, to be honest, none of us in our normal lives are experts at waste. We don't know the difference between PET and HDPE, for instance. They're different sorts of plastics. But we do have that knowledge, we do have that experience, and we do have the machinery and equipment that can correctly and properly separate that material out. So I'm, I'm a bit of a geek, yeah, I've been told. And um, so, but the first thing that I noticed in your MRF, tell us about the technology, but also the first thing I noticed, actually there's a whole lot of people there. Absolutely, yes, yeah. We still rely on the human hand and the human eye. And in fact, the very first cabin where the material is going in on a couple of big conveyor belts, that's so we can pull out any material that should not be in the dry recycling. So any obvious food waste that gets put in there by mistake, or maybe electrical equipment, or maybe things like that. The other week, and this is a very sad thing, we had a dead dog come down the uh, conveyor belt. Who thinks they can recycle a dead dog? I don't know. But that's the sort of thing we need to pull out so it won't damage the machinery later on in the process. So David, you're doing that by hand? Or somebody's doing that by hand? That, that actually is being done by hand, but the people are wearing protective anti-stab gloves so that they're totally protected from anything that may be on the belt that shouldn't be in the mix. And the belt's a conveyor that's operated is like really quick. Right. Um, and your team there are like super efficient. They are, yes. And then it kind of goes into these various sorters where stuff is being pinged out by little air jets exactly, and all sorts of stuff. Exactly, yes. It's going into different mechanical and electronic uh, sorters. For instance, we're using near-infrared optical separators that can actually read the different grades of plastics on the belt using photoelectric cells, and then an air jet will blow it off into a different bin so that we're making the recyclate to a standard that the mills who accept it can accept. So you have to turn that bit into English, the recyclate being? Being the, the plastics that we're recovering. For instance, we might be recovering clear drinks bottles, PET. We might be recovering uh, milk bottles, HDPE. Well, we're doing that separately because the PET, PET mill guys do not want the HDPE. So we have to get to a very high standard to then pass it on. Because that's their raw material. Exactly, yes. Right, so you can ping these things off into different balers and so on. It's a bit like a massive amusement arcade, I thought. I, I describe it as the biggest game of mousetrap in the world. That's right, yes. 
you remember most of that. <laughs> yeah, that dates us all. <laughs> so um, can I just ask, as a really stupid question, when I've got my food waste carton, you know, I try really hard to cut down the amount of plastic that's coming into my house, but inevitably some of it is coming in. We can't help it at the moment. It's inevitable. So when I'm putting it into my plastic recycling, dry mix recycling bin, having washed it out first, um, even if I'm not sure it's the right number, should I stick it in anyway in the hope that when you get to it, you'll be able to do something sensible with it? Because one, two, three, four, five, six, I have no idea what the difference in all those numbers mean. That is part of the problem. And for instance, polystyrene is not recyclable. Now, most of us know what polystyrene is, so please don't put that in the recycling bin. Other forms of plastics, there are um, issues as to what part of the country you're in, whether you can recover them or not. My advice would be read what it says on the packaging. If it says recycling a ball, put it in the recycling bin. Well, they say that, widely recyclable, don't they? And I think this is perhaps one that I should pin back to Steve because... Where I live, you can't recycle Tetra Packs, and I'm assuming quite a lot of course and products come in Tetra Packs. Is that right? They do indeed, yeah. Yeah, two-thirds of the, of, the, of the ranges that I described earlier, two of them are in Tetra, yes. So what about those of us who can't... Because you can recycle a Tetra Pack, can't you? You can, yes. But only in certain parts of the country? I believe that is the case, yes. Certainly we can accept Tetra Pack and it will go off to the correct... Uh, plant to be recycled but you cannot guarantee that in every part of the country no and that's why we, we need more MRFs. Almost the cry's gone up. How more many MRFs are there? Have you any idea? I mean you know. Not nearly enough. How many so not nearly enough being? Well in, in the London area where we've got a population if you include the towns around London of around 10 million people there are let me think now there are about five wow. and, and that's just not enough to deal with all of the demand for the material. We're processing 130,000 tonnes a year and the material is out there. In fact, it's more a case of us turning it away. So we do need more MRFs. So if it's not going into MRF, where's it going? Well, it may go through the source segregated system where we rely on the customer to segregate the material, or it may end up going to residual waste, which could be uh, an incinerator uh, generating energy or it could be as bad as landfill yeah, yeah so you know how much landfill how much material is sent to landfill now well i believe the statistics in great britain is we're still around 50 percent but wow. i'm not entirely sure whether that's the latest figure we but we mustn't be too depressed when i first got into recycling we were actually at about seven or eight percent recycling and and 90 percent and uh, landfill. So th over the last 15, 20 years, things have changed considerably and for the better. So we must be um, positive in what we're doing. But my message is always is put your recycling in the recycling bin. That's where it belongs. Yeah, we can do that. But if we don't think as consumers, I mean, just to play devil's advocate for a minute, if I don't think it's going to go into a recycling system or it's going to go into a MRF, it's just going to end up in landfill, then, you know, why would I bother? Because, I mean, there is obviously a major problem here, isn't there? Because we've got far more recyclable rubbish than we are recycling as a nation. I mean, 50%, that's better than when you started, but it's still, you know, 50% too few things being recycled, isn't it? No. And other countries are way better at this than we are. That there is truth in that. But certainly, 
in any local authority context, if you put your recycling in the recycling bin, they will deal with it and treat it properly. It will not go to landfill. It will not go to energy from waste. So I that's, think that's a really good piece of myth busting, isn't it? Yeah. Because it's quite Absolutely. often sort of, oh, I've seen it being lobbed in the same truck. But I think that, so from our experience and why we say to people, well, actually, if you can get into one of these facilities, it's really important because then you can see where your waste is going. And in the same way, you have a better relationship with food that we spoke about. Actually, you have a better relationship with our um, our waste. And, and from what you're saying, actually, waste is somebody else's raw material. And that's Very where we're going, so, yes. isn't it? So are you happy then with these government announcements that have been taking place um, recently and are they going far enough? We're very happy to hear these announcements and we're very happy to focus on the issue of uh, recycling and recovering material. But again, I, can, I know I sound like a, a crack record, but if the material doesn't go in the recycling bin, it's lost. It's out in the atmosphere, it's out in the environment. You've got to get it in the bin. Yesterday, I was out picking up rubbish off of a road in East London, and we picked up nearly a tonne of waste because people just hadn't bothered to take it home and put it in their bin. They'd just thrown it out their car and lorry window. And we've Shocking. got to stop doing that. Mm. We need a bin it campaign, don't we? That's what we need. Bin it, get it to the Murph. I think this could be a whole new Planet Pod campaign here. We could have a crusade around Murph usage. Right alongside a salad tossing. <laughs> Lose the plot here, Steve. <laughs> so, in terms of policy, Mickey, because you mentioned sort of there's an educational piece, but there's a policy piece in the work that you do. Um, what do you think about these latest announcements? Um, I think it's encouraging. I think policies do need to be put in place. We've talked a lot about um, taking responsibility for our rubbish and our food and our, our relationships with it. And that's really important. About of the one third of food that's wasted globally about 50 in this developed country about 50 percent of it comes from the consumer so there's a lot of work to do there but then the other 50 percent of it comes um from different parts of the supply chain and when i am out and about at events and talking about food waste a thing i hear a lot is like why is it always all on our shoulders and um you know big businesses have a lot to account for and it's very hard to talk about waste and not talk about supermarkets because most of our food in this country does come from the major supermarkets and um, you know they they have a lot of power and with a lot of power comes a lot of responsibility and um, I think you know at the moment all of their targets are voluntary all of their actions against food waste against plastics and you know up until now that has been great PR for them when they do it and they can be quite quiet about it when they don't to be a little critical so I think we need policies put in place that not only incentivize businesses to do it but make it very possible for them to do what they need to do. Um, this is rubbish is campaigning for a 50% food waste reduction by 2030, which is in line with Sustainable Development Goal 12.3. That was adopted by the EU um, Circular Economy Package. And um, we are still part of the EU, and we will be when all this stuff is being enshrined in law. And we're campaigning hard for mandatory food waste reduction targets across member states, because that way governments will have to put systems in place that, that make those achievable. So I think policy is really important. Okay, um, I'd like to come back to that, but but you just said um, something about sustainable development goals. So for those people who don't know, there may be people listening to the pod who don't know what sustainable development goals are. Steve, what are the SDGs? So the UN um, 
tried to has established a sort of a, an incredibly great way of communicating this massive subject, which is sort of sustainability, and they've created seventeen um, uh, UN Sustainable Development Goals, otherwise known as the Global Goals, that we can all contribute to. You know, so it's about actually taking a sort of um, a positive contribution to creating a better world in terms of reducing poverty, and you know, um, improving quality and diversity, and so on all the way through to tackling climate change and, um, and our seas and oceans. And these are known as the UN Sustainable Development Goals. Um, and they're really, really catching on. And it's helping to provide an overarching sort of framework for governments all the way down to individuals to sort of tackle sort of, um, you know, environment and society challenges. Um, and then do it in a really, really joined up way, I think, um, which is the encouraging bit. I was going to ask Steve, just in terms of, your role in this because we talked about retailers what are they asking you in terms of the grocer changes chains out there and you, are you supplying your product into retail like that and what are they asking you to do the the silence is is deafening uh, in terms of what they're asking of us um i i don't believe they've asked one question of us apart from when we list products around what ingredients we use, what packaging we use. It all goes on the kind of information sheets that, that go to them. After that, in the conversations I've had in recent weeks and months, there's been no more about, well, a- any other questions about it, to be fair. So the retailers, the supermarkets and all of those big distribution companies and the catering companies, they're not pushing you as a supplier around this issue? Not, not that I've heard of, not that I've seen, no feedback. No, no one's come to us you know, it's, okay. it, I, I think this is a there's a real balance here. It's a kind of we go to them with new news when we've got things that are pertinent or are changing or we're developing. The only pushback we've had has been about plastic straws across the board, um, and what's our position. Some of our customers have taken a very clear stance on that this is the best that we can we've got at the moment, and we'll find other solutions. Everyone has agreed that the the plastic straws that you would just get on a on a bar top to mix your drink are completely surplus to requirement. There are certain areas where straws are required um, for the time being until a better solution is is found. But that's the one where we've had the the biggest noise. But when it comes to food waste ingredients um, and and all of the background to that, that's where there's been no questions or or, or push really. So that feels like a lack of leadership, doesn't it, Mickey? A lack of leadership at the top, which is because um, unless we've got some real government leadership about this and some real noise, it's not going to push its way down through organisations and through retailers and through, you know, the supermarkets and onto the suppliers. So it's, you know, we're relying on, on people like us around the table here and particularly on organisations like yours to make the noise about something that should be being pushed as a statutory requirement is that is that part of what you're doing around pushing around this eu directive that's very much part of what we're doing with our public engagement is getting people to support our campaigns and um, we did a couple of years ago now run a petition which gained over a quarter of a million signatures to adopt um, you know targets for food waste reduction and to approach supermarkets specifically to um, address food waste and food waste reduction so this is something that we are really pushing for but everybody can get on board i mean the plastic straw campaign was on instagram it's on facebook mm. it's slightly when you describe it smacks of tokenism because there's a lot of other plastics around and everyone thinks the job's done now but there's a lot more to do but certainly it's things people can get behind and 
I think, you know, hopefully our politicians will hear. So what would you have a supermarket do? I mean, obviously they need more than just a voluntary code. I mean, it's like the, you know, it's like the uh, plastic pact that, that about over 40 companies signed up to today. Again, that's just voluntary. It's statements of intent, really good statements of intent and hugely welcome, but, but not mandatory. So what would you have supermarkets do? Well, we need to clear up date labelling. It's confusing. People don't understand it. They they don't feel empowered to make decisions about their food. I come across that over and over again. Date labelling. You mean those best before used by date things? That's the one, yeah. I mean, there's a significant difference between used by and best before. And I think a lot of people don't recognise that. And they think they can't eat something after a best before date, which they can. We do a lot of education around that. So date labelling needs to be much more user-friendly. Um, I looked at the bags in my fridge today and they come from a variety of supermarkets because I live with different people and we sort of shop for ourselves in, in bits and bobs and there wasn't a huge amount of information on those bags about how to best use that packaging so if we have to have it we need to use it properly and that information needs to be not in fine print on the back I think it needs to it needs to really be out there and accessible um, you know whether it's better to take your salad out of a bag leave it in the bag close it, not close it. One thing I found did have some good advice on it, a bag of salad from a leading supermarket, but my bag of carrots didn't say whether they should stay in the bag or come out. And uh, Maybe they you... didn't need to be in a bag in the first place either. I would it? agree. So um, supermarkets could do a lot around dates. They could do a lot more information around how to make the best use of their packaging. I mean, there was a move away from buy one, get one free deals, but I think to a large extent they are still their job is to make money and to make their shareholders happy. So they are still pushing over consumption onto the consumer in, in little ways. And if their job was also to meet mandatory targets of waste reduction, that would be highly discouraged. Those are a few things. Um, I could probably go on all day. Abundance, the way they display food, some clever things have been done around that, but more could be done. But I think we also need to do a lot of public education around expectations because at the moment you could probably go into the centre of town and buy um, sort of imported fruit 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and that's probably not sustainable. Yeah, heavily wrapped in plastic. I mean, we've lost touch with that kind of seasonality, haven't we? And we've lost touch with having products when they're, when they're there, you know, when they should be eaten. And I know that's something you're quite passionate about, isn't it, Steve? De definitely. I think in that fresh food area, fresh fruit and veg particularly, I think we should celebrate the vegetables and fruit that's in season and not expect to get strawberries all year round. You know, we should delight in those when they're in season and then move on and, and cultivate our diets and our, and our ability to use food when it's plentiful at the right time of year rather than ship it halfway across the world just so that we can have it all year round. I think the person that does that and the, and the retailer that stands up and really shouts about that will... will will show you know a, a great example to us all i think it's a, a great way of getting back to um a, a, a proper diet and regime that fits with the natural cycle if you yeah. if you like we've lost touch with the food miles because the food miles campaign and the and you know your your kind of food footprint in terms of its travel was huge a few years ago but people don't seem to talk about food miles in the same way anymore so it's that's you know the the instant i want everything now you know strawberries in december it's it's crazy really isn't it so if you had a kind of call to action we we've, we've got a few minutes left and we always like to end with what can we do about it you know and so 
what would your main call to action be if it could be for individuals or for organizations or, or better still perhaps for policymakers or governments i mean what i mean we've said you know you've said david put it in the bin obviously but but what else would you would you like i mean i i would encourage people to stop buying things in plastic but my concern is then you'll be out of a job because there'll be no plastic coming into the murph so maybe well, i shouldn't say that thank thank you for your concern um we we don't want to demonize plastic packaging plastic packaging if used properly is a good thing it means we can get the product safely to our kitchens from where it's grown stroke manufactured and there is the minimum amount of waste in that supply chain so that's a good thing but what we want to try and get away from is unnecessary multi-material packaging there's lots of different things in the package like paper and cardboard and different sorts of plastics because they are extremely difficult to recover. If we could reduce the amount of materials in the packaging, that would be a very good thing. And also, again, just read your local authority website, see what can be recycled, see what can't be recycled and get it in the bin. Get it in the bin. Steve, what's your call to action for us all? Well, I'm kind of still on my sort of geeky route. Um, and so um, somebody told me that sustainability is innovation spelt wrong. And um, for, for us, you know, we're, I'm a sort of an optimist. And I think that um, we can do a really good job at designing out this nonsense that we found ourselves in at the moment. Now, so notwithstanding behaviour change and you know, tricky stuff like how do you get us to do things better as individuals, as you know, so I might leave that one to you, Mickey. But in terms of I'd like to engage the great designers out there and the great engineers and say, all right, then, look, here's a problem. Let's solve it because actually sort of collaborating and working together through the supply chain is where the solution lies. And so I think this is about um, looking at the packaging and making it much more innovative and friendly in terms of um, how we dispose of it and use it again. Yeah, if we can put a man into space, well, even women as well, but and have them orbit <laughs> the Earth for six months and come back in one piece, surely we can get rid of yeah, the single-use single plastic in a better sandwich bag. It's not much to ask, is it? Okay, Steve, got a call for action for us? Yeah, I, I, I agree with that, sort of making things more innovative, more fun. Um, definitely having fun with food, for me, is a, is a, is a key message here. It's about thinking about the best before dates and that isn't the end of the life of that food how can you make food you think is gone valuable again i love what mickey's saying about having fun with it bring it to life and and really enjoy that moment and celebrate it it is a gift to us and we shouldn't take it lightly yeah and if you've grown it yourself and you've even been better, out there even in, better yeah you've been out there in november and you've dug your patch and you've sown your seeds and you've chased the birds off and you've watered and you've watched those seedlings come up it's a long slow process so it, and not only does it taste better but you really value it and you will eat everything that comes out however irregular shapes or seemingly ugly it is so i think it's your right it's about re-establishing that that joy of eating and loving food as a as a great product and, and vegetables fruit whatever it is that you choose to eat so um i think my call to action would be to try and cut down on our meat i've got um my daughter's just gone vegetarian there's a lot of pressure in my house to stop eating meat and we know that meat production produces huge amounts of methane and huge amounts of climate change impact. So, so have a try on Meat Free Monday. So that's our campaign. Our call to action is just cut down on your meat consumption because it's really not good for the planet. 
Have you got one for us, Mickey? I'm going to be greedy. I'm going to go for sort of two. But That's it's okay. We'll I loved you. what you said. I could have left it there. But it's going to be around loving food. And I think we need to learn to love love wonky food, to love it, you know, so all types of food and veg. So the supermarkets have um, no excuse for cosmetically outgrading and creating waste at the production end of of the food supply chain because that's a huge issue and a huge problem and it's one that's not even being measured right now but i think you know sometimes they think they're meeting consumer demand let's not let's not give them that reason for doing it great thank you so you've been listening to the planet pod and i have to say a huge thank you to all our guests so steve Kearns from Corston, thank you for joining us um, David Rumble from Bywaters and we now know what a Murph is and I'm absolutely sure if you wanted to look around his Murph he would be delighted to show you so we'll make sure those all those details go up on the website and you can get in touch and find out about the Murph um, and Mickey Reedy from This Is Rubbish so I've been Amanda Carpenter and I'm joined by my co-host Steve Malkin, thank you and thank you very much for listening and we'd like to say a huge thank you to Breakthrough Finance for um, allowing us to use their fabulous studio. And thank you to Jim Haywood, who is our producer, keeps us on track, um, been sending me hand signals for the last half an hour. So I hope I've been doing something right. So a huge thank you to everybody for listening. You can find us at theplanetpod.com and you can follow us on Twitter at, at planet, capital P, underscore pod, capital P. So at planet pod. So visit us, tell us what you think, tell us what you think we should be talking about and just keep listening. <laughs>